if you would, and we will read our passage. We're going to be in 1 Peter 4, uh, verses 10 and 11. 1 Peter 4. Now, I know that we read the passage each week, and it can be tempting to think that this is kind of a prelude to the sermon, but I just want to remind you, this is the meat. This is the highlight. It's only going to be downhill from here. So tune in as we read this. The word of God to us, verse 10. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat. If you were here a couple weeks ago, um, we looked at 1 Corinthians 11 in a passage where the Apostle Paul gives correction to the church at Corinth because the posture of their hearts and their public behavior in worship was, um, it was off base. And he says that the church at Corinth was actually, rather than giving themselves to joy in worship, they were giving themselves to judgment. In fact, Paul said, Corinthians... Because of the way that you're behaving and the way that you're taking communion, it would be better if you just didn't even come here. You're worse off for having gathered because of the way that you're behaving. And so we use that as an opportunity to ask ourselves the question, how is it that we, in the 21st century, worshiping in this little part of the woodlands, how is it that we perhaps are engaging in things in in our worship gathering that are off base and that perhaps are not even honoring to God because of the posture of our heart or the way that we're behaving? And so we talked about thin versus thick belief. Thin beliefs, those things that we we believe and we may hold passionately, but we don't understand the underlying justification. We couldn't articulate the rationale for why we believe those things or why we behave those ways. Whereas thick belief, we have a full understanding. We we understand the, the, the policy implications and the policy rationale. We understand the history, why we do this thing, so that when we do it, we can we can engage in it intentionally and with our whole heart. And we talked about the need to have thick belief in our worship. And we looked at three elements of our weekly worship gathering. We looked at the greeting and preaching and communion and talked about what's the biblical basis for those things and how can we engage those things with a thick rather than thin belief. And we gave some examples too. We talked about how in worship, for instance, we sing the words hallelujah and say the word amen. And perhaps some of us don't know what those mean. So hopefully, if you were here a few weeks ago, as you sang hallelujah today, it was with a thick belief. Hallel, the Hebrew verb to praise, lay, let us, Yah, Yahweh, let us praise God. And so as we sing that together as a congregation with thick belief, we have sort of full understanding with what we're doing. Now, I have to confess that... Um, Three weeks ago when I spoke, as I was up here pontificating on preaching and how we need to have patience and and listening to preaching, I actually gave what was officially the longest sermon in Woods Edge history, (laughs) which when you're a guest speaker is not necessarily what you're going for. So today I'm on a shot clock. I'm limiting myself to only one point today. So if if you hear the Oscar music, I'm going to get ushered off. So (laughs) let's let's get into it. I'm going to talk about serving service. As a component of our weekly worship, gathered worship, there is service happening. And serving is a part of the way we worship. In fact, biblically, worship and service are coupled concepts. They go together. They're hand in hand. And we see that in the passage we just read, 1 Peter 4. Let me show you a few other places we see that in the New Testament. Luke 4, 7. This is a scene where 
Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days, preparing for his public ministry. Satan confronts him, takes him up to a high place. He's overlooking Jerusalem. And Satan says to Jesus, Jesus, if you will just worship me, I will give you the keys to this kingdom. I will put all of this under your authority, and all the authority that I have I'll give to you. Just worship me. And Jesus responds by actually quoting scripture. So this is what Jesus says in verse 8. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Now, what's interesting is Jesus here quotes Deuteronomy 6 and 1 Samuel 7. That quotation isn't a direct quotation from one place. He takes two different quotations from the Old Testament, and he brings them together. And what he does for us is he couples worship and service. He brings them together. Now, look at Mark uh, chapter 10, verse 45. For even the Son of Man, that is Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So as Jesus comes and takes on flesh to uh, show us what God looks like and how God behaves, what he says is, I didn't come here to be served, but to serve. I'm showing you what it means to live like God. I'm serving. And yet then in John 12, here's what Jesus says, but if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And so Jesus says, even if I didn't come here to be served, but rather to serve, what I'm telling you is, if you will serve me, the Father will honor you, because by serving me, you're worshiping God. Because service and worship are coupled concepts. Look at Galatians 5.13. There the Apostle Paul says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Freedom. No longer bound by the law. No longer under the penalty of sin. Called to freedom. And he says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. Don't use your freedom as a cover-up from sin. Don't use it as an excuse to live in a way that's contrary to the gospel. But rather... Through love, serve one another. Church, I've given you freedom to do what? In love, to serve one another. And so worship and service are coupled concepts. And what I know about this little community of worship that we call Wood's Edge is service is happening here every week. Now, sometimes it's, it's hard to see. But if you're here today and worshiping, you are being served. In fact, if you're not here today and you're watching remotely, you are being served. There are dozens and dozens of people who are serving us today to make this worship gathering happen, to give us the opportunity to worship together. So if you think about it, when you, when you drove here, right, you came in and there were folks in the parking lot who showed up at 7 a.m. who are helping direct traffic to make sure that we can kind of get in and out, right? Houston, right, you either direct traffic or it directs you. So they're volunteering to help us get around. You come in and there are folks who are volunteering their time to greet. So I, I just met Stephen from Canada. I presume he's, he's visiting. And hopefully when Stephen came in, someone greeted him with a warm hello, a warm welcome. And those people are doing that in service. Uh, if you have kids and you come to Woods Edge for the first time, you may not know where to, what to do with your kids, right? Does this church have child care, children's ministry? What's the deal? You come in and there are folks who are there every week helping direct parents as to what to do with their kids. They're serving us. And then we've got dozens of people who are serving in children's ministry. So the fact that there aren't like 350 screaming children here right now, which would be great too, but the fact that there's not means that there are people serving us so that we can worship in this environment. There are folks who come before the service and pray. There are folks who stay after the service and pray. There are folks who come and set up communion. Do you enjoy taking communion with your church family? Do you enjoy taking the bread and the juice and being reminded of all that Christ did for you? Guess what? This isn't a water to wine situation. This doesn't just appear. People come and they fill up the cups and they put out the bread so that we can take it. If you came and drank coffee this morning, there were people volunteering so that you could be caffeinated and stay awake during this thing. There are all kinds of people who are serving us. And for many of those folks, 
For them, service as an element of their worship is in lieu of all this other stuff we're doing. So a lot of folks are serving this morning and they're not getting to enjoy the greeting or listen to preaching or hear the reading of the scripture or take communion because they're outside of this room serving to make sure that you can be inside this room. They choose to serve. If Woods Edge is your home, if this is, you consider this your church, this is the primary place where you worship. This is where you come for spiritual nourishment and encouragement and fellowship. Here's what I would say. Every week that you're here, you're being served. If you are not also serving in some capacity, in some way, then you're missing out on one of the key, critical, crucial elements of our gathering to worship together. We are a worshiping and serving community. In fact, one well-known pastor once said that a non-serving Christian is a contradiction in terms. It's an oxymoron. The Bible doesn't really envision Christians who don't serve. So I want to ask the question, like we did a couple weeks ago with preaching and communion, first of all, why do we serve as an element of worship? Why do we do this? And then how can we do it with a thicker belief so that we can engage our hearts and engage our minds and do it with intentionality in a way that we know honors God instead of wasting that opportunity? So first reason we serve as a part of worship is that the scriptures are clear on this. The scriptures call us to it. We saw that in our passage, right? 1 Peter 4.10. Here's what it says. As each one of you has received a gift... And every follower of Jesus who's indwelled by the Holy Spirit is given a spiritual gift of God. So all of you who've received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. It's a matter of stewardship that we would serve one another. If God's gifted you with the Spirit and gifted you with a gift of the Spirit, and you're not using it to serve people, you're not being a good steward, right? We learned this in kindergarten, right? First, what's lesson number one? Got to learn to share. God's given us good gifts, and they're to be used in sharing in the body of Christ. And when we serve, it helps us. Recall we said that every element of our gathered worship is intended to point us to Christ. And when we serve, it it points us to Jesus. It humbles us and it emboldens us. Look, Jesus, Lord of all creation, the sustainer of all things, the Prince of Peace, King of Kings, in the ultimate seat of authority and glory, decides to come down here, take on flesh, and what does he do with his time. Well, at least part of it, he spent on his hands and knees in the dirt, washing the dirty, nasty feet of the guys that he traveled around with. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being the most important person in the entire universe and then spending your time in the dirt, washing the nasty feet of your buddies? I mean, utterly, utterly humbling. And so when we serve, it humbles us. In fact, my wife and I, our first year of marriage, we had a pastor He and his wife came to faith in the late 60s as part of the hippie culture. He was from San Francisco. She was from Greenwich Village, New York City. So these these were legitimate hippie kids. They come to faith, and as they do, there's all these other hippies, countercultural type folks who are coming to faith. And they told us that the first lesson in discipleship for people who are new to their community, people who decided, yes, I'm going to place my faith in Jesus, I'm going to follow him with my life, the first thing they did in discipleship was that they they, they said we would teach them first and second John. And they weren't referring to the epistles, First and Second John. They were saying, you want to know what it means to follow Jesus with your life? We want you to go clean the toilets. What you're going to do here first is you're going to go clean the bathrooms. Because if you want to see what it looks like to follow Jesus with your life, that's going to give you a pretty quick picture. Following Jesus is a life of service. It's a humble life of service. So service humbles us and points us to Christ, but it also emboldens us. I would be willing to bet There are people in this room who don't yet have 
a real clear idea as to what your spiritual gift is. You know that you have one because the scriptures say it, and you just haven't discovered it yet. You know, sometimes the way we would discover our spiritual gift is through serving, is through exercising it. And so it may be that you have the gift of teaching and you don't know that. You know how you might discover that is signing up to like lead a small group or facilitate a Sunday school class or go teach fourth grade Sunday school. Put yourself in an environment where you're forced to read and learn material, integrate that material, and then articulate it to help others learn it. And it may be that as you do that, people say to you, man, you know what? You said that in a way that I finally understood it. I've heard this a hundred times. I've never really gotten it. And the lights went on when you said it. That's not going to be because you're so articulate or you're so good at teaching. It's going to be because God has gifted you with a gift to use for the benefit of the church. And so God emboldens us in our spiritual gifts in service when we put ourselves in position to serve. Another reason that we serve and a way that we can have thick belief and engagement when we serve is recognizing that we serve in response to need. That may sound very simple, but look at Acts 4.32. Acts 4.32 and following. This is the most pivotal passage in the New Testament in my life when it comes to showing me what generosity and service looks like. Okay, look at Acts 4. So recall, Jesus has just ascended to heaven. He's gone. The disciples in the early church are left by themselves. They're in this fledgling state, trying to get their feet under him, trying to figure out what it means for them now to live as followers of Jesus after he's ascended to heaven. Here's what we see. All the believers were one in heart and mind. They were unified. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, presumably including their time. But they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. So they're preaching, right, which is an element of worship we talked about a couple weeks ago. And God's grace was so powerfully, second time powerfully appears, so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. Wait a minute. There were no needy persons among them? How could that be? Look at the next verse. Because... From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. They gave according and in response to need. They gave proportionate to need. They gave in response to need to the point there was no more need. How do you know when you're done giving and sharing in response to need? When there's no more need. Look at Jesus. He gets on the cross. Does he say, Father, what if, I, what if I give like four pints of blood and take care of sin for like a millennia? What if I just give an arm? Like would that, would that do for like 50% of the people? Can we, can we work a deal here? No, he gave everything until there was no more need. Is there any need remaining? Is there any need remaining for you to deal with your sin? There is none because Jesus has done everything required to put an end to your sin. He gave until the need was gone. And so we see in the early church, they give in response to need. Here's the reality. There's need in our community. There's need inside this little church organization we call Woods Edge, and there's need outside. Now, when you come into a big church like this, with a big staff, it looks like a well-oiled machine. I mean, it looks like, man, I could come in here and come and go each week, and no one would really notice. I mean, it seems like they've got this thing down, right? I mean, the wheels are running regardless of, of what I'm doing here. And so we can be tempted to think, it's covered. I don't need to be engaged here, but that's actually not true. Um, I just, this last week was with some friends 
who serve in the kids' uh, children's ministry regularly, like monthly or more, or more than monthly. And some of them are having to serve more than they signed up for or more than they intended to or more than they feel like they can because there's not enough people amongst us willing to go serve. There's like 30 people short, 30 volunteers short of the children's ministry being able to operate weekly as it's intended. There's, there continues to be need. Do you know that there are children and families in our church with special needs? You know, there are parents who have children with special needs, many of whom won't even come to church because it's such a heartbreaking ordeal to come in to a big, noisy, busy place where maybe there are volunteers who don't really know how to deal with the special needs my child has. And if I drop them off and go into church, I'm going to get called out because something's going to happen. They're not going to know what to do with it. And so we're just going to stay home. A lot of families just stay home because churches, I'm talking about people, the called out ones, aren't sufficiently willing to mobilize to serve those families in the church. Do you know that we have those families in our church? Right now, the, the staff of our church is trying to organize folks who are willing occasionally to serve out here, outside of this room, so that families of children with special needs can come in and worship and take a moment of rest. Who do you think needs a moment of rest more than parents with young kids with special needs? I mean, that is a full-time deal. Feeling that no one understands you, no one really knows what it's like, feeling like you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders, and we as a community have an opportunity once a week to give those parents a moment of rest where they can sing and worship and greet one another and hear the preaching and reading of the word, but it takes us being willing to serve in response to that need. Do you know that we have people that pray before and after the service? There, I mean, is there any end to the need, really, of people who are praying for, for our worship gatherings and for the work that we're doing here? Do you know that we have families who are sick in our church? Do you know that there are people right now who have just been diagnosed with Alzheimer's or dementia? Do you know that there are people who have just been diagnosed with cancer? Do you know there are people who are nine months in to a stage four treatment plan with cancer? I mean, friends, it's not the job of a paid pastor to take meals and pray for and anoint with oil and read the scriptures to people who are sick in our church. You know whose job that is? Mine and yours. It's our job and there's need in our church. Do you know there are families this week and this month and this year who are going to be having a new baby? What a joyous thing to have a new baby in your family. You know how hard that is, especially if it's your first one? I mean, your mind is blown. How, I mean, how am I even going to get dressed anymore? Like, how do I take a shower? This is like my world's upside down. What an opportunity for us as a community of worshipers to serve those families by taking them meals by visiting them, by encouraging them. Some of you moms, ha ha like you're out of it. Like your kids are out of the house. Man, what an opportunity for you to go sit and pray with that young mom and encourage her and share wisdom with her. Do you know that there are families in our church who this week are going to be taking in a foster child? They've already got three. They're taking a foster child, number four. And CPS is going to show up and they're going to say, hey, here's a three-year-old child. They've been abused for the last year. Good luck. We'll call you in a month. I mean, do you think that might feel a little overwhelming? Do you think it might be an opportunity for us as a worshiping community to come alongside them and say, hey, you know what? You've got your hands full right now. We're going to take care of all your dinners for the next seven weeks. Our church is going to cook them and bring them over. You don't even have to deal with that. You don't have to grocery shop. What a way to serve that family. Some of them are going to come. They're going to be new to town. They don't have family or friend networks here. They're new to Wood's Edge. They've come here two weeks. They need people to come alongside them. Um, when my wife and I were, were fostering, we had families here who came alongside of us, and it was critical. It was just breathing life into us, and we felt like we were totally underwater. And you'll forgive me if I talk a lot about foster 
care and adoption here. Many, if you've heard me speak before, you know that's a passion area. I want to tell you a story that I read recently just to drive home the realness of this particular need. CPS and the police were called out to a welfare check at a, at a home where they found a four-year-old girl and her 10-month-old brother. No parents there. Four-year-old and an infant uh, just at home alone. And the police officer asked the four-year-old, he says, sweetie, what's your name? And she says, idiot. And he, he thought, maybe she misunderstood me. He said, no, no, sweetie. I said, what's your name? She said, idiot. And he thought, this is very weird because usually children this age are deferential, respectful towards police, right? not, not antagonistic like this. They, they, haven't let your, you know, they haven't learned social dynamics. Like They just trust us at this age. But then he realized, she's not calling me an idiot. She's answering my question. I asked, what is your name? And she told me her answer. My name is Idiot. Because her mom and her mom's boyfriend, that's all they'd ever called her. She was four and believed her name was Idiot. Now let me tell you what happens. CPS and the police remove those children from the home in the morning. And that night, they're going to sleep somewhere. Where are they going to sleep? Where are they going to go? If not for a loving, safe, qualified family willing to care for them, they're going to end up in the hallways of CPS office, sleeping on a pillow and a blanket in a carpeted hallway. Or, or maybe they'll make their way into a group home, but they'll probably get split up if they do. 40,000 children in Texas today in need of safe families willing to care for them. Let me ask you a question I was thinking about last night. We know, statistically, it is an objective truth that there are 40,000 children in Texas alone, 400,000 in the United States, in need of foster homes. Do you think it's more likely that God has said in response to that, you know what, I just, I, I get that, but I haven't called 40,000 Texas families to care for them. I've called less, maybe like 17,000. So we'll leave a balance. Or do you think it's more likely that God has broadly called us as the church to serve in response to that need so that there's no more need? And sometimes we just haven't responded yet. Is it more likely that God has left a balance of vulnerable children and not called people to respond? Or is it more likely that we haven't responded even though he's called us? The pattern of the New Testament church and the call of the scriptures is to serve in response to need until the need is met. We have folks in our city who are refugees and immigrants many of whom are fleeing violence in their home country. They don't have networks here. They don't speak the language here. There's a great need to show the kindness of God to these people as they come into our city. We've got folks who are chronically homeless in our city who aren't healthy in a place right now where they can even care for all their needs. There's a need to serve them in this season of their life, maybe towards healthfulness and wholeness again. There are folks in our prisons. There are folks transitioning out of prison who are in critical low points in their life. Transitional moments where it, it couldn't get any worse and there's an opportunity to serve them by showing them the kindness of God. And so we, res- we, we serve in response to need. And you know what else, when we serve, you know what else it does? It reflects and embodies the gospel. As we said, every element of our gathered worship is supposed to direct us to Christ. And when we serve, it does that. Look at 1 Peter 4. Look at our passage. Verse 11. Peter says, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. You say, Christian, thanks for, thanks for highlighting the need. I get it, but man, the things you've mentioned are, are hard. I can't do those things. Taking in a foster child, that would be too hard for me. Absolutely, it would. And you know who else it's too hard for? Everyone who's ever done it. And the passage here doesn't say serve out of your own strength and whatever skill and capacity you think you have. What it says is God's given you a gift. Now serve 
by the strength that God supplies. If God calls you to it, is he going to leave you without the strength to do it? I don't believe so. I think this passage says he's, em- he's empowering us to do the service. Why? In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. You know what God's not glorified by? 40,000 foster children not cared for in our state, in the Bible Belt, in God's country. You know all that rhetoric you hear? Church and family and God and all that stuff? God's not glorified by that. You know what God's glorified by? When the church says, you know what? God, I do not have the strength to do this. This need is overwhelming to me, and yet I'm going to obey you, and in the strength that you provide, I'm going to serve so that in everything, God, you would be glorified through Jesus Christ because that's what my life's about. Jesus has served me till the no need remained, and so now, like him, I'm going to wash feet. Like him, I'm going I'm to serve. Okay, now I get, I've put the full court press on here. I see like people in the back of their seats like, <laughs> this guy is coming in a little hot today. <laughs> Let me just provide a quick word of caution and maybe a word of relief, okay? We have to be careful not to replace worship with service. We cannot replace worship with service. We have to worship through service. If you recall in Luke 10, there's a passage where we see two women, Mary and Martha, and they're with Jesus in a home. Recall that Martha is very busy. She's doing dishes and she's preparing hors d'oeuvres. She's refilling tea and she's doing all the work that's necessary to host this gathering. And she sees Mary, her sister, just sitting there. And she goes to Jesus. She says, Jesus, I'm working my tail off here. And Mary's just sitting there. You remember what he says? He says, Martha, you've been distracted by a lot of things, but I want you to know that what, she, what Mary's chosen is better. We can't replace worship with service. We have to be very careful because if we replace worship with service, rather than worshiping through service, we miss the mark and we're not going to bring honor to God. A second warning or encouragement that I'll give us is to be careful not to just become busied people. There's a Catholic priest named... Uh, Henri Nouwen, who wrote a book called The Way of the Heart. And he talks about in there how, he says, hey, look, just look at our modern schedules. Look at your to-do list. Look at all the oughts and shoulds you carry around and how busy you are. He says, if we're not careful, if we're not serving God in worship, but rather we're just getting busy with lots of things to do, you know what's going to happen? We're going to get the reward that busy people get. You know what reward busy people get? More busyness. And your life is just going to feel like one breathless, never-ending treadmill because we're just busy and we're not worshiping. We're not responding to the Spirit. And so I do want to give us a caution, especially those of you who are very busy. It may be that today, the thing that you need to do is say no to some things. Maybe you are maxed out. You're serving in every area you can, inside the church, outside the church. You are maxed out and you just need to take a moment and say no to something. It may be that some of you need to say yes to something today. And God's calling you to press in more. It may be that you're in a season where you need a rest from volunteering. Now, this Woods Edge Church, it's, an, it's a nonprofit organization that facilitates the people of God, the called out ones, the church, right? We the people. This, this building, the organization, it just facilitates the worshiping life we're leading. And so, there, there's lots of volunteer needs here, and we should respond to those. There should be none left. We, we have enough people that we should respond to those. Also, if you're the, in a season where you need to rest, just know that you have permission to rest from church volunteerism. If you've got new, a new baby at home, if you're a mom of young kids, if you are 
caring for an elderly family member who's sick, if you're grieving the loss of a loved one, if you're going through a divorce, if you're dealing with addiction, if you are dealing with mental health issues and you're trying to get your medicine squared away, you don't need to feel the pressure of oughts and shoulds. You can take a break. My family and I have taken moments where we've been totally in the weeds and we've said, you know what, we're not going to volunteer at church for nine months. We're doing nothing because we need to rest and take a breath and that's okay. If that's you, I want you to feel freedom to just take a break from church volunteerism, right? There's never a season in our Christian life where we're not serving somehow because there's no such thing as a non-serving Christian, but we can take breaks from different expressions of service. But this also means that if you're healthy and whole and you're in a really good season of life right now, you need to be engaged in serving because there are people in your community here who need you to serve them. And someday you're going to be in a season of life where you don't have the capacity to serve and you're going to need them to serve you. And so this beautiful thing that we call church, where God brings in all of us really broken, messy people, right? I mean, it's, it's uncomfortable to live in community with a bunch of other sinners like you and me. And yet somehow God weaves this thing together so that we can serve each other in our moments of need, remind each other of the gospel, and thereby glorify God through Jesus Christ. This is what the rhythm of the Christian life looks like. When you first signed up to follow Jesus, if nobody told you this, I want to apologize. There should have been a fuller disclosure. Following Jesus is not comfortable and easy and my best life now, despite the books. That's not what it's about. It looks like a bloody cross. It is going to be uncomfortable. We have a short life. We have a few breaths remaining, and God has called us to something significant and eternal. And in our worship as a community, it looks like service. Michael Spencer once wrote these words. Find a community that encourages servant Christianity. Wherever God places you, make it the place you serve him. And whenever possible, seek out the little corners of darkness and pain in our world. Go there and the Jesus-shaped path will rise up to meet you. If Wood's Edge is your home, I want to encourage you to be serving here. In some way, inside the church, outside the church, you got to be engaged in serving. That's just inherent to the Christian life. And if you're serving, I just want to first say thank you. Thank you for serving this community. My family and I thank you for the way that you've served us. And I want to ask you this question. In your service, are you doing it with a thick belief? Are you serving as worship unto the Lord, or are you serving to check a box? Are you serving to be seen? Are you serving to get some religious kudos for the good things you've done? If so, you're wasting an opportunity. I want to encourage you today to make sure that you serve with a thick understanding of what is happening. It's worship unto the Lord. If you're not serving, I want to ask you this question. Where will you serve? And how quickly will you begin doing it? How quickly will you put aside the excuses that have kept you from serving in some way? If you're not serving and you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you're missing an opportunity to worship. You're missing out on a key experience and, and rhythm of the Christian life. I get it. You may be an important person. You say, look, I'm a very important person. I have important things to do. I don't have time to volunteer. I saw a video on this screen like three years ago of a CEO of a multinational corporation who serves monthly or more in the two-year-old classroom. He doesn't even have kids that age. He and his wife, who are important people, serve regularly in the two-year-olds to serve your kids and your grandkids so you can come in here and worship. I mean, you know, he's pretty important. But guess what? It's good for his soul to do that because he needs to be reminded that he's not as important as he thinks he is. He's not too important to wipe noses and bottoms so that you can worship. You're tired. I get that. 
I'm tired. We're tired people because we're busy. I want to tell you, I had a friend named Jose in New York City. He had just recently immigrated from South America. He didn't speak the language. He didn't have any family or friends in New York. He was holding down three jobs simultaneously, just barely to make ends meet. He had only one day off a week, Sunday. You know what he did every Sunday? He got up at 6 a.m. to get to the church early so that he could help set up chairs and set up communion and get speakers set up so that people who wanted to worship the living God could come in and have an environment to do that. And in case anyone came in and asked the question, who is this Christ and how then should I be saved? He wanted to make sure that that was available to those people. So if you just recently immigrated from South America, don't speak English, don't have family and friends here, have three jobs and only one day off, you just barely meet the criteria for being too tired. And even then, you have an encouragement in Jose to remind you, this is a short life. Let's use it for the glory of God. The scriptures are clear on this point, and the need is evident. And so we respond in serving. And I want to, I want to say, I, I recognize, I, I'm, not a, I'm not on staff here, I'm not a pastor, I'm a member like you, I'm a congregant. And I'm at risk right now. This is a vulnerable position. I'm at risk of talking about something and not doing something. And so here's what I want to do as an encouragement to you and for the sake of my own joy and obedience in the gospel. Today, I am filling out a Connect card because Joe Lanzalotti just talked to me about this, right? Um, I've got four young kids at home. I feel like I do children's ministry all the time. Uh, I love my kids. I don't necessarily always love children's ministry. Um, but here's the thing. I know there's a need in our church right now for 30 people to help give rest for the people who are serving right now. And so today, I'm going to change from serving once or twice a year in church in children's volunteers, just enough to like assuage my guilt, like, ah, yeah, I'm participating. And today I'm saying I will volunteer monthly in children's ministry because there's a need and because I'm part of a community that has said we're going to respond to needs. And so I want to ask you, would you consider also joining me. We need 30 people. You're looking around, you're going, oh yeah, you'll definitely get 30 in here. <laughs> no, that's not how that works. Y you're one of the 30, right? Hey, look, if, if, uh, if 500 respond, we'll deal with the surplus. We'll figure out something else to do, okay? So if I'm going in, I need you to go with me, because if I say I'm going to do it monthly, and they call me and say, oh yeah, now that you're in, we need you three times a month, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good for my health. They're going to kick me out of the thing. They're not going to like what they get. So you got to join me, okay? And this or something else, let's be a community of Jesus followers who serve. And if you're not yet plugged in or you still have capacity to serve more, do it. Take hold of your joy today. Move further into obedience today and see what God does in your life. In closing, I'm going to read our passage one more time. Recall, this is the highlight. This is what we came for, okay? So tune in as I read it in closing. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. As each one of you, Christians, as each one of you, Woods Edge, as each of you has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, we recognize this morning that the breath in our lungs is from you. The, if, we can, if we can use our arms and legs today, it's because you've allowed it. If you give us another day of life, it's because you've sustained us by your word. We owe you everything. We have nothing apart from you. By your grace and your kindness, you've led us to repentance. You've revealed to us our sin. You've caused us to turn from it. You've given us 
godly aspirations for lives of righteousness. And yet, God, we struggle because we're tired and we're busy and we are reticent, we're weak, we're insecure. And so, God, today, here's what we as a community say to you. We love you. We worship you. We want to obey you in every way. And even in this, even in service, Jesus, if you can wash our feet, then certainly we can serve you in every expression of service that is necessary. God, would you, by the power of your spirit today, help us to respond to needs until no need remains. God, help us. We need you to do it in and through us. And we trust you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.